0: welcome back to the Spirits Guide podcast i am rich your guide to the intoxicating spirits world and we are in full swing of bourbon heritage month and on this episode we're kind of coming on the heels of last week's buffalo trace episode reminiscing about my day at buffalo trace which was one of the first distilleries i visited this week i'm talking about one of the last distilleries i visited three years ago just Jim Beam Distillery and all of the great whiskeys that come out of there, including the flagship brand Jim Beam. Uh, Basil Hayden comes out of there. Knob Creek comes out of there. Old Grandad comes out of there. And as an added bonus, uh, Jim Beam also owns Maker's Mark. So we're tasting the Maker's 46 today, as well as giving you the weekly update of all the new sort of news that's going on in the spirits industry. And some of the stuff that I'm doing while I'm drinking spirits when I'm not sharing them with friends. Uh, it's a good time really across the board. So hopefully you enjoy it as much as I enjoy bringing it to you. And if you guys like what I'm doing, you know the drill. Go to the podcast page. Click the follow button. Give it a five-star rating. Share it out on your social media. Follow on Facebook and Instagram as The Spirits Guide where you guys can leave comments and reviews on both of those platforms and for everything else you know samples that you want to try of things that i've tasted samples that you may have that you're curious as to my opinion of or if you just want to come here co-host an episode geek out about movies music tv drink some cool spirits you guys pick the topic i'll pick the spirits we'll have a good time uh email me at the spirits 89 at gmail.com as always thank you guys for indulging me on this journey Uh, I am blessed to have you all as a part of it. Enjoy the episode. We'll talk to you again soon. Cheers. All right. Here we are. Uh, Spirits guy back. Yeah, we're talking, you know, it's Bourbon Heritage Month. And uh, yeah, we can talk about nothing but bourbon and... This week we're talking about Jim Beam. You know, I wanted to kind of talk about it on these full length episodes. Places that I've actually been. I can't wait to get back to Kentucky next year. I should be there in April. It's been three years since I've been there last pre COVID. Obviously, uh, it's just it's such a great, great place full of amazing people. And I wanted to share some of these stories with you guys, because if you've never been to Louisville, uh, you've got to go. If you're a bourbon drinker and you haven't been to Louisville, uh, I get COVID has kind of tied things up for a couple years. But uh, we really do have to get back down there. And when I go in April, uh, I've said it before, I want to put together a tour, a group of us um, to kind of go visit some of these distilleries together so that we can have that shared uh, experience so you know we're talking about Jim Beam before we even get into that though I just from the bottom of my heart I want to thank you guys if you're you know listening I, I feel like you know over the course of the last what 30 weeks now that I've been doing this I'm, you know trying to find my voice in 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 how I want to present this and what I want to deliver to you guys and I feel like I feel like this week it, it really kind of came together for me how I, I want to present this, my you know, the the voice I, I want to present. So I want to thank you guys for for being on this journey all along. I know it may not have always been been great, but you know, I'm committed to to getting better and to delivering you guys just you know the best possible quality content that I can and really to talk about. You know i i'm enjoying kind of doing this research and and sharing some of the, the spirits news because it's kind of the geeky stuff that i get into behind the scenes you know what's going on and also the new release stuff you know just trying to you know kind of be a guide to let you guys know what's what's coming down the pipeline um you know, my other interests are, you know Like I said, I I love spirits, but there are other things you do when you're not with your friends, but you're still kind of enjoying spirits. So I enjoy getting to talk about that and I want to get better at sort of presenting the spirits that I'm, I'm recommending and talking about as well. So I am working on that, but really truly from the bottom of my heart, uh, thank you guys for being on this journey. You know, it, it keeps me honest. It keeps me true. It keeps me committed to something week after week to keep putting this podcast out um and you know for a lot of it it's it's for you guys but for a lot of it it's for me as well um and just again thank you guys so so much so here we are we're talking about jim beam and in my opinion if jim beam was better at the hype machine you know then then buffalo trace if they were as good at sort of the marketing and holding back supply would be talking about them as you know maybe the best bourbon distillery in Kentucky and it's it's really hard to pick a best you know buffalo trace is fantastic my issue uh, as always is sort of the way they keep their products kind of limited and the hype that they put behind the products that they're not going to f- you know put into the marketplace heaven hill Makes amazing products. Uh, We'll talk about them on another day. But just the amount of great brands that come out of Heaven Hill. Uh, You know, I'm a big fan of Brown Foreman and their stuff. uh, Especially Old Forester. But, you know, Jim Beam is right up there as well. And I feel like they don't get the mention or the credit in the press for being just an amazing distillery. An amazing brand uh, that is putting out just unbelievable products. And we'll talk about it over the course of this podcast. Really, the history, you know, they just named Fred Noe Jr. I think he's actually going by Freddie Noe Jr. Uh, as Master Distiller. That is the eighth generation of the Beam family to be in control of this distillery. I mean, that is true sort of bloodline lineage, Really the total opposite of Buffalo Trace, which is these sort of random amazing people that kind of pop up along the way. But Jim Beam is truly a family business that goes back to like the 1700s, started by German immigrants, um, just sort of evolved over the years. But there has been a Beam family member at the top of the pyramid for eight generations. I it's just sort of unfathomable and we'll, you know, we'll talk, you know, again, like I don't want to go too deep into mash bills and history. This is more about me sharing my experiences and really trying to promote and encourage and, and kind of let you guys know why you should really go visit these places. Uh, they've put so much money and time and effort into making the visitor experience uh, just everything it can be. And it it pays off. So, you know, I, I started, you know, it's we're talking Jim Beam. So I figured start flagship, you know, Jim Beam White Label is one of the number one selling bourbons in the world, if not the number one selling bourbon in the world. And I, I feel like I'm constantly coming to the defense of Jim Beam. You know, when people go like, oh, it's cheap, it's bottom shelf. Again, when you talk about eight generations of family, kind of that lineage You know, the brand Jim Beam, the white label, has been around since 1943. So you're talking 80 years of heritage. You know what that means? Their bills are paid. They're not a new distillery that has investors. They're not buying their whiskey from anybody else. Their bills are paid. They make their own stuff. They have their own cooperage. You know, and over the the years, you know, they've kind of bounce around a little bit and they are now owned by Suntory, which is you know definitely the largest liquor corporation in Japan and one of the biggest corporations in Japan uh, at all. So, a lot of money that they have on hand so they can you know afford to just churn out white label at amazingly consistent quality all day every day. So, it's not that it's cheap. It's not that the quality of the product is inferior it said it's inexpensive because they don't need to charge 40 bucks for mediocre whiskey like i see in a lot of other new brands that hit the market i just you know i taste everything that gets thrown my way at you know that's that's what my job is you know people think like oh you got this great job you you get to drink all day and you know my response is always sometimes i drink things so you guys don't have to there's a lot of whiskeys that come across. Oh, we get this new brand and this celebrity is behind it or, you know, it's this heritage brand and I taste it and I'm like, well, it's 45 bucks. It's not better than Jim Beam white label, you know, let alone Jim Beam black label. It's just price is not always indicative of quality. Sometimes price is indicative of, of stature. You know, just go ask the people behind Grey Goose, they, you know, price the vodka to be more expensive than anything else. So people believe that the quality is better than everything else. And it's not necessarily the case. All right. I'm getting off on a rant there. So instead of starting off with Jim Beam white label, which I absolutely love, I'm starting off with Jim Beam black label. At one time, probably five or six years ago, there was a Jim Beam white, a Jim Beam green, and a Jim Beam black. The white was a four-year whiskey. The green was a six-year, and the black was an eight-year. The bourbon boom hit. They discontinued the green. They took the eight-year age statement off the black. It's now a six- to eight-year blend. But, man, this is great. You know, it's 86 proof. I don't care. I get tired of hearing these proof hounds that whiskey's not good if it's not 100 and 110 proof. The, The flavor is there. You know, Jim Beam White, soft, sweet, easy to drink, affordable. You get it in a handle. You get it in a 750. You get it in nips. You know, it's great. It's great for mixing Jim Beam and Coke. By the way, I just saw this video with Fred Minnick talking about his 20, you know, or his 10 best whiskeys under 20 bucks. And it's great uh, because one, he talks about how just because the MSRP in Kentucky is 20 bucks your state's tax might drive the price up. Um, But he also talks about how he enjoys like a Jim Beam and ginger. He enjoys a Jack and Coke. This is the leading bourbon sort of influencer writer, one of the most important people in the bourbon world, talking about how he just likes a Jack and Coke, talking about how he likes sipping on 80 proof bourbon. If he's just drinking it straight without an ice cube. If Minick is drinking 80-proof bourbon, and by the way, two of his top 10 whiskeys under 20, Jim Beam White, Jim Beam Black. So, yeah, if he can drink 80-proof bourbon, and, you know, I I think in a lot of ways he's very pretentious and drinks his own Kool-Aid, but that being said, the guy who drinks his own Kool-Aid still likes 80-proof bourbon. Guys, get over yourself. If it tastes good, it tastes good. All right, so Jim Beam Black. Again, six to eight years, 86 proof. Uh, not that we're t- getting too deep into it, but the mash bill: 75 corn, 13% rye, 12% malted barley. All right, here we go. Mm. What I love about this whiskey is that, you know, I love me some Jim Beam White Label. I think it's delicious. It's got plenty of that sort of candy corn caramel flavor to it. It's soft. It's sweet. It's light. The Jim Beam Black, those extra few years of aging, really, really come through. I don't know if they're using a heavier char, but I get those sort of kind of soft, sweet caramel flavors, but the body is bigger, and the toastiness of the oak is its right there. It's so, so good. And it just, it's what good, affordable bourbon should taste like. And again, is it good? Yes. Is it worth the money? Absolutely. I mean, I had this, I did for Wachusett Wine and Spirits, you know, sort of kind of working along the lines of Fred Minnick. You know, I did five great bourbons under 25 bucks. And this one fell in at, at $25. Under 25 bucks, this is. Maybe one of the best bourbons you're going to find that tastes like true aged oaky bourbon. Uh, I love it because it's available in a 50 ml. You can get it in a 750. You can get it in a handle. You know, it's accessible. So it's good. It's worth the money. Does the bottle start a conversation. I think that Jim Beam Black Label has a stylish, elegant look to it. Maybe it doesn't start a conversation or maybe it does. Maybe somebody looks at your bar and goes like, you got Jim Beam and you make them taste it. And you can just wow somebody where they go like, whoa, that's really good. I didn't know. And maybe that starts the dialogue. Or you know what? The next time your friends are over your house, blind taste them. You know, let them sit out on the deck. You go inside. You pour them a, a glass of Jim Beam Black. Let them taste it. Ask them what they think. Then tell them it's Jim Beam Black. I promise you they will be impressed by your choice of bourbon. It's a winner across the board. All right, while I drink this, let's talk about what's going on in the spirits world. Pernod Ricard sinking $250 million uh, to expand the Middleton Distillery in Ireland. Again, my question is, where is all of this money coming from? The only thing I can come up with is it's coming from you guys. It's coming from me for you know, every bottle of Jameson that we buy at a dollar higher than it used to be is funding the R&D on Jameson and Cola RTDs, which absolutely suck. I don't know how we get together and fix this, how we band together and start shouting at these giant liquor conglomerates and going, stop flooding the market with shitty RTDs and charging me more money for the other product. Also, they're giant corporate conglomerates who have shareholders to answer to. So when... Sales are down. They have to raise the price just to keep their shareholders even or show growth. Um, Not liking it, unfortunately. We can't find any smaller brands that meet that kind of quality for for that kind of money. But yeah, Pernod Ricard uh, sinking $250 million in. Brown Foreman, who I just mentioned I'm a fan of, just bought Gin Mare from Spain. It's a quirky gin. It's in a a funky bottle. I've had it. I've carried it. It's tasty. I like Spanish gins. I don't get this purchase. Um, Gins were hot during the pandemic. People were experimenting. They were playing around. They were making Negronis. I feel like people were discovering Negronis for the first time. And all of a sudden, every week, hey, we got a new gin. We got a new gin. We got a new gin the market is getting flooded and inundated with brand new gins all the time that it's just oversaturation. People don't know what to do. And now they're starting to revert back to, you know, your tried and trues, your, your Hendrix, your Tankeray, your beefeater maybe a little bit of botanist. Uh, but I don't understand why a big corporate, you know, monster like Brown Foreman, who usually has great products, would want to get into the gin game considering they own Forge gin and I can't move that worth a shit. So uh, it's a curious one to me, but uh, we'll see. That means my friend Don will be calling me up, asking me to buy some more gin mare so I can get my hands on some Glendronic and some old Forrester products. It's the way the game is played. Maybe that's my issue with it is now I'm going to have to, To bring in some Gin Mare and and try to get you guys to buy that. I I don't know. Um, And lastly, in news, uh, Diageo uh, won a lawsuit against Deutsch, which is the parent company that owns Redemption. And they sued them because the packaging of Redemption uh, resembled Bullet too much. I think this is a stretch. I don't know of any consumer out there who mistakenly grabbed redemption bourbon thinking that it was bullet. I, I, you talk about frivolous lawsuits. There it is right there. Bullet, you know, with its bright orange label, uh, suing redemption. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, they're both mediocre whiskeys at best. Anyways, let them fight it out and spend each other's money. But you know, who's going to pay for that lawsuit yet again, me and you. You don't think they're paying that out of their pockets. That's going to come with a price increase somewhere. Uh, so you'll be expecting to pay more for your bullet or your redemption to kind of help pay for this $100 million lawsuit that just kind of went down. Oh, man, this champion black is so, so good. All right, and here it is. Five whiskeys you'll probably never see. Um, actually, there's a lot of whiskey releases going on this week. Uh, first off, I'm excited. I'm going to get to try my second Australian. I am expecting some Starwood twofold Australian whiskey into my store uh, either this coming week or the week following. Uh, I'm curious. I had really, really good uh, success. Uh, really happy with the Morris whiskey that we talked about a few weeks ago. So I'm really curious and excited to taste what else is happening down there in Australia. Keep your eyes out for a new brand of whiskey, new brand of bourbon about to hit the shelves probably within the next couple months, at least here in Mass. The brand is called Fortuna. Uh, it's another one of these heritage brands. I don't know much about mash Bill's makeup. Here's what I do know. I deal with a distributor called MS Walker. It's a family owned. They're a great distributor right here in Massachusetts. Uh, They actually produce all the Allen's products you guys see on the shelf. They are the distributor for Heaven Hill, uh, at least the whiskeys here in Massachusetts. So all of my Evan Williams, Elijah Craig, Rittenhouse, all of that stuff comes through this distributor, MS Walker. MS Walker is carrying the Fortuna brand. And I have an invitation to go do a sort of launch tasting in a couple of weeks. So I'll be reporting back on how that went. What I did see kind of looking into Fortuna a little bit is one of the owners is owned by three people. One of them is a guy named Andy Shapira. Now, Shapira, if you guys don't know, is the family that owns Heaven Hill. Wrapping it all together, I think this brand Fortuna, and I don't know for sure, But it's probably going to be a Heaven Hill brand, which means it's probably going to be Heaven Hill juice. Uh, I'm excited to see what they do with it. It looks like it's maybe a six-year bourbon. So uh, with Heaven Hill's history of putting out good, quality, affordable products, I am excited to taste that. And I I will definitely be reporting back to you. Uh, On a personal level, Dubliner Irish Whiskey... They released a whiskey called Steelers Select. Any of you guys know me, know that I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Have been all my life. Unfortunately, this one is only released in Pittsburgh. Might warrant a road trip soon. I still have some friends down there, some people I could go see. So I may actually take the road trip down to get some Dubliner Steelers Select which just shows what kind of sickness I have in this sort of whiskey hunting world that I would drive to Pennsylvania, which depending on the day time and traffic, I can usually get there in five and a half hours. I would make that drive for a model of Dubliner Steelers select Irish whiskey. I wouldn't drive a half an hour to Westboro to go hunt down a bottle of Pappy. (laughs) Maybe that's just me. Um, Some other stuff going on out there. There's a company called Filmland Spirits. Uh, They just announced three releases of whiskey that are based on B movies. Uh, So it's MGP juice. And by the way, we got to stop calling it MGP. The distillery is no longer called MGP. I will probably slip up, and it's going to take a lot of us to kind of change our verbiage. But the actual name of the distillery is Ross and Squibb. It has been for a while. But if you're a fan of B-movies and you're in Kentucky or California, you can pick up bottles of Midnight Mayhem or Midnight Mayhem Extended Cut, which is a bourbon from MGP, or they have one called Rise of the Robots. The labels are really cool. Very sort of B-movie-ish packaging. Unfortunately, you know, big release, and they're only available in Kentucky and California. Sagamore Spirits out of Maryland just released a rye finished in mezcal barrels. Sounds exciting? Yeah, too bad it's only available at the distillery. Again, why do they announce this stuff? I don't know. Kentucky Owl. Maybe the king of pretentious brands. I don't get it. I don't think the whiskeys are that good, and I think they're way too much money. Uh, The Takumi edition, which is basically a collab between uh, Kentucky Owl and a Japanese distillery where the people from Kentucky Owl selected a bunch of barrels of bourbon, sent all those samples over to Japan. The master blender over there was the one that did the blending. Hmm, kind of sounds like something Jim Beam did a few years back with a product called Legion, uh, where Jim Beam made the bourbon, and then the people from Centauri did the blending. Uh, so not a completely original idea. Uh, surprise, available in limited quantities. MSRP about $1. fifty. Here's one that <sighs> frustrates and disappoints me. Uh, Diageo announcing the new release of George Dickel Bottled and Bond. It's a 13 year Bottled and Bond. Again, they've done a couple of these 13 years. I still have some on my shelf. 13 year Bottled and Bond whiskey at 45 bucks. And for whatever reason, bourbon drinkers don't touch it. I don't know why. I don't know what is wrong with you people. It is amazing whiskey. It's 13 year old whiskey for under 50 bucks. That's bottled in bond. I don't like I can't imagine like if Kentucky Owl put out a 13 year old bourbon, it would be six hundred fucking dollars. Yet George Dickel that's been around forever was, you know, at one point, one of only two active distilleries in tennessee and that's like in 1995 they were one of only two active distilleries talk about heritage people who know how to make whiskey uh nicole austin an absolutely rock star of a general manager master distiller running the show down there and nobody's picking up a 45 dollars bottle of 13 year bottled and bond it 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 saddens me. It really, really does. So, unfortunately, this version, I won't be bringing into my store. Mostly because I haven't sold the last version I got. Um, I don't know why people don't pick this one up. What else we got? Oh, Glenn Fittich announcing three sort of older release scotches. <laughs> Again, whiskeys you'll probably never see and couldn't afford if you did. Uh, They're releasing a 30-year, a 40-year, and a 50-year single malt scotch. The 30-year will be referred to as suspended time, the 40 as cumulative time, and the 50 as simultaneous time, with only 220 bottles of the simultaneous time available for purchase. Um, I don't know where they're available for purchase it uh, seems like it's more trouble to ship out 225 220 decanters is how they're listed so i mean the package is probably worth 5 grand alone and here's what they're going to set you back glenfiddich 30 1200 bucks glenfiddich 40 4600 bucks and glenfiddich 50 50000 if you can find it Bless your heart. Uh, if you're going to drop fifty grand on a whiskey that you're probably not even going to open and drink, you've got money to burn. Uh, good for you. And then the last one I want to talk about, and any of you guys out there listening, if you see bottles of this anywhere, please shoot me a message. Let me know where it is, because I'm really, really curious to try this. Molson Coors. Yeah, the people who bring you Miller Lite and Coors Light and, you know, the people who... Mike's Hard Lemonade and all that stuff. And, you know, we all know who Molson and Coors are. They got into the bourbon game or the whiskey game, not bourbon, whiskey. Important distinction there. Uh, They announced that they're releasing their second batch. And the second batch is a blend of four-year MGP weeded bourbon, four-year Kentucky bourbon, six-year Colorado single malt, and 12-year Kentucky bourbon. I have seen other beer companies get in the whiskey game. We see a lot of people get into the whiskey game. I don't have the pricing on this. I don't know what it costs out in the wild, but it piques my curiosity that somebody in the beer company kind of seems to know what they're doing, or they have a little bit of creativity at least, you know, to throw in weeded bourbon, regular bourbon, 12 year bourbon and six year old Colorado single mall. Uh, I, I am super curious, Uh, Again, the brand is called Five Trails. They are working with Bardstown Bourbon Company. So I'm sure that Bardstown is sort of very involved in the blending. Uh, It's one of the things that they do best. They also do a barrel-proof version of that batch that is finished in Imperial Porter barrels. And then there's also a small batch in that lineup that has some 17-year-old Tennessee bourbon in it Uh, And that's probably from George Dickel. So somebody out there appreciates that whiskey at least. Uh, So, yeah, that's kind of the rundown of everything that has been going on in the spirits world uh, in the past week. So I'm going to take a quick break, uh, rinse out my glass, get my next whiskey, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about what I've been doing while I'm drinking spirits all right i'm back enough rambling and ranting let's get into the whiskey and again we're talking about my day at jim beam jim beam is all about history and heritage it's a perfect brand and distillery to talk about for bourbon heritage month let me get a little situated here Jim Beam, as a sort of as a distilling heritage, you know, they they lay claim that their brand goes back to 1795, but it really doesn't. Uh, But the sort of distilling heritage goes back to 1795. Uh, The Beam family were German immigrants that settled into this part of the country. We've talked about this before of the sort of German influence, their ability to work with rye as a grain, their distilling traditions. Um, the brand Jim Beam, like Jim Beam white label becomes a thing in 1943. Prior to that, you know, they made a lot of whiskey. They just sold barrels of whiskey to rectifiers. Uh, and they had a brand that they called old tub where literally they would have a tub of whiskey in front of the distillery and you would go there with your jug and just fill it up. And I know a couple of years ago, like we went. You could buy bottles of Old Tub, which was a bottled in bond whiskey at the distillery. And then a couple of years ago, they actually did it like a national release of Old Tub. Quite honestly, it wasn't that great, um, but it's still a fun bottle to have in your collection. I actually believe I have one somewhere. So actually, no, I have one right in front of me. Just in sort of commemoration, let's crack a bottle of Old Tub. Okay, I am back. Uh, Moving on, you know, we're here. We're talking about Jim Beam Distillery. Uh, I'm going to get into my visit there and how amazing it was. And really, oh, man, there's that sweet sound. When you talk about, like, great, great whiskey, last week we talked about Buffalo Trace and, uh, you know, the great brands that come out of there, Eagle Rare, Buffalo Trace, obviously Pappy, Weller, Blanton, things like that. When you look at Jim Beam Distillery and what is coming out of this distillery, a pound for pound, you know, I I don't know. I I put them kind of right there. If Buffalo Trace is number one, uh, Jim Beam maybe one A, Heaven Hill maybe one B. I there the three of them are so so fantastic. So this next whiskey that I'm drinking is one that admittedly I have picked on over the years. Uh, It's another 80 proofer. This is Basil Hayden, one of the many great whiskeys that comes out of Jim Beam. You know, Jim Beam is putting out Bakers, Bookers. I mean, granted, uh, I haven't seen a bottle of Bakers in the wild in quite some time. Bookers, you know, is a very limited release, but I do see it. And what I love about Bookers, by the way, and I just talked about this recently, of like everything has gone up astronomically The price of Booker's is still the same, you know, for the last couple of years. It hasn't gone up. Uh, So loving that. Old Overholt Rye coming out of there. You know, the Jim Beam lineup of Jim Beam White, Jim Beam Black, Jim Beam Rye. They do a Double Oaked, which I haven't seen in quite some time. They do a Bottled and Bond, which I haven't seen in quite some time. Uh, Definitely supply chain issues on some of these whiskeys. And Basil Hayden... In really the companion piece to Basil Hayden, which is Old Grandad, uh, Basil Hayden is one of the only people to have two different distinct whiskeys named after him. Um, you know, there was a guy named Basil Hayden and his grandson created a brand of whiskey that he called Old Grandad, which one of my favorites, another one that's kind of vanished out of the marketplace in recent times. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know. Old Granddad has become kind of my unicorn that I am out there hunting. Basil Hayden High Rye Bourbon Mash Bill, sixty-three percent corn, twenty percent, twenty-seven percent rye, ten percent malted barley. At least four years. I'm not sure of the age um, on it. You know, if there's no age statement on it, it's got to be at least four years. Uh, I think they keep the age. Stuff off of there so it allows them some Fluctuation year to year Um, Great Great looking bottle The packaging has always been spot on Soft Nice nose A little bit of spice in the nose there Sweet Spicy Smoky Light it's tasty. It really is. Honestly, if I had my choice, I would take old granddad bottled and bond over this. But this is nice. Uh, is it good? Yeah, it's good. It's got a long, lingering, sweet finish that's still kind of coming at me, which I see why it appeals to so many people, because it really does have that, that kind of sweetness on the back end. Um, so is it good? Yes. Is it worth the money? Yeah, it's under 40 bucks. I think the money really is in the packaging. But still a great whiskey, nonetheless. And, you know, there's a bottle side of conversation on the bar. Yeah, it's a really attractive bottle. It's kind of got that paper sleeve over the top. Although they just updated it, too. So that kind of paper sleeve is gone. Uh, the new packaging is a little bit more stylish. But, yeah, great bottle of whiskey all around. And, again... I like it a lot. If I had my choice, I would take old granddad over it. But we're not going wrong either way here. So you guys know the deal by now. I've been doing this for a few weeks. Spirits are clearly best enjoyed with with friends, you know, and making human connections. But that's not always possible. Sometimes we are on our own uh, and we're doing other things while we're consuming spirits. Reading books, watching TV, watching movies, whatever. And here are some of the things that I've been up to. And by the way, I am so, so amped. I I almost forgot to mention this. So pumped up. Uh, Juice is getting flowing today because next week on Wednesday, Whiskey Wednesday for the Wachusett Wine and Spirits page, live on Facebook, I am doing my first cocktail video. And probably over a year, it's been a long time since I did cocktails. And even today, like starting to get the ingredients together for the cocktails that I want to make, starting to plot out what I'm going to do. You know, I made my own simple syrup today, Um, you know, getting the Amaros together that I need and rounding up all my bitters and going through my bartending bag, my whole box of all my bartending tools so excited, realizing that like I just haven't made cocktails in forever and I haven't done a cocktail video. So I'm excited this coming Wednesday. I don't know what is that, September 15th? I think it is. Um, yeah, live on the Wachusett Wine and Spirits page. I am going to be making bourbon cocktails with my five sort of best brands under 25 bucks that we carry at the store. Uh, so I'll be working with Wild Turkey, Jim Beam Black, uh, Evan Williams Bottled in Bond, Ch-ch-ch-ch- Rebel 100 Proof, and the last one escapes me. Did I say Wild Turkey? Uh, either way, five great bourbons under $25. bucks. i have picked a classic cocktail to make with each of them. Uh, so one of them will be used to make an Old Fashioned. One of them will be used to make a Manhattan. Uh, One of them will be used to make a whiskey sour. One of them will be used to make a Tallulah, uh, which is a quirky little cocktail that has orgea syrup in it. Very, very excited about that. Uh, We're making a Boulevardier and a paper plane. So more cocktails than we have whiskey. You know, if you're in the area, you hear this and you want to come down and and try some stuff. We'll be there uh, probably Five thirty six o'clock making cocktails at Wachusett wine and spirits. So what have I been doing? What have I been watching for the last week? You know, I'm still working my way through my book, American Rust. Great, great stuff, um, but busy at work. Uh, so I haven't had a lot of time to read on my lunch breaks. Uh, and when I get home, I tend not to read at night. So I've been sitting down watching some stuff on TV. Uh, that untold sports documentary series on Netflix. Wow. Just another one right out of the park um, called Race of the Century. And it's about the America's Cup. And if you're wondering, like, why do I care about a bunch of rich people who race yachts for sport? I get it. Probably about five or ten minutes in, I was like, I don't really care about these people. They're just really wealthy people who have the money to play like this. But it it turns out to be an absolutely fantastic story of how, you know, the United States had won the America's Cup and defended it. uh, I forget how many times, but they held the cup for 132 years. The cup stayed here in America. It was the pride and joy of the New York Yacht Club. And yeah, I get everybody who probably is a member, is a wealthy, you know, not our kind of people. But this Australian team and this guy with a dream and the way they kind of developed it and the guy who designed the boat and was revolutionary in it. And then they come to America and they actually win the cup. There's no spoilers here. Um. You know, this is all stuff that actually happened, but it's the story of how this Australian team kind of came from nowhere, and then what what it did for the. They kept referring to Australia as a country. I always thought of it as a continent. Uh, if anybody else out there has some clarification on whether Australia is a continent or a country, uh, please uh, comment. Let me know on that. But just a A fascinating, fascinating story. And what I like is, again, it's about people with a ton of money racing yachts for sport. And yet somehow, after that first 10 minutes, I was hooked. I was compelled. I was watching the entire way through. Uh, Even got a little teary in the end there. Um, So, yeah, just, again, if you like sports, if you like the human stories behind sports, the whole untold documentary series, absolutely fantastic. Just a a great job with every single one of those documentaries. This one clocks in at about an hour and a half. So I feel like it's a little bit longer than some of the other ones, uh, but well, well, well worth the watch. Something else that is well worth the watch. You know, uh, we here at home, we like to watch bad movies. Um, And what makes a bad movie a bad movie in a good way? It's when somebody has made a movie that is terrible, but the people who made it truly believe that this is their on the waterfront. This is their citizen Kane. This is their godfather. Like they think that they have done an amazing job and the movie is just so terrible that it's funny and fun to watch. And I have a book called the bad movie Bible. I was loaning it out to a friend of mine and you know, whenever you loan something out, you're never really sure when you're going to get it back. So I was kind of going through and I was like, I should pick a few movies out of this to watch. And I came across one called Hercules in New York. It turns out that it's Arnold Schwarzenegger's first starring role in an American movie. In fact, in the opening title, he's not even listed as Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's listed as like Arnold Strong. I Right out of the gate, you're like, oh, I'm invested in this. So it's basically the story of Hercules in the mythology sense. And he wants to get out of the heavens and go explore Earth. The guy who plays Zeus, his beard is maybe like you can actually see the lines or it's clued to his face um Arnold you know not that he ever fully grasped the English language but man he had no grasp of here the dialogue is just amazingly terrible it's it's laughworthy you know he's riding a chariot through New York City while being chased by mobsters it's it's absolutely insane. There's a, a great scene of the the gangsters kind of riding in a car alongside of Arnold, and he's riding the chariot And the whip he's using on the horses in the chariot. He turns and tries to whip the, the mafia guys with it. Uh, there's a scene where he wrestles a bear, which is clearly just a guy in a costume that, you know, when they first introduced the bear, you think it's an orangutan that escaped, and then they have to tell you that it's a bear. Uh, but he sounds like a jaguar. It's just glorious in how terrible it is. If you are a fan of movies like The Room, Birdemic, Thanks Killing, beavers, all these sort of really just campy, terrible movies, but this one was made to be serious. I get to the end of it, and as funny as it was, and as much fun as it was to watch. I'm amazed that he ever got another movie role after this. Uh, it's from 1969. It is well worth just getting a bottle of 20 old bourbon and just going to town and, and tacking one on and having some fun and just taking a break from reality uh, to laugh and enjoy. Uh, again, Hercules in New York. Just stellar and fantastic. In how terrible it really was. Mm. And then the last thing I got. uh, We started watching this new show on Hulu. Uh, By the way, uh, House of Dragons. I know I feel like I have to touch upon it every week. But man, I'm just not. Episode 3, I'm still not invested. This time hop thing that they've got going on. I feel like there are conflicts before we have characters to care about in the conflicts. Uh, again, very sort of visually stimulating, but the story and the character is just hollow. Right now, if I'm keeping score at home, Game of Thrones episodes 1, 2, and 3, they're 3-0 and o against House of Dragons episodes 1, 2, and 3. And not because it's not Game of Thrones, but more so because it's trying to be a continuation of Game of Thrones. Even though it takes place 175 years before Game of Thrones does. Uh, I'm sticking with it, but man, it's just not its not great. A um, couple of series that are great. City on the Hill on Showtime uh, Season 3. Man, Aldous Hodge is just an amazing actor um it all takes place in Boston and that makes it kind of fun for me There's a local tie in uh Kevin Bacon is amazing the whole cast is great uh the story this year you know i thought season 1 was fantastic it was kind of rooted in a true story uh season 2 was good not great and then season 3 is just it's getting intense um yeah, just great storyline, great writing, great acting. Kevin Bacon, who is, you know, an icon. Jill Hennessy, who I loved in the early days of Law and Order. Um, Aldous Hodge is... he. If this guy is not a, a superstar in the next five years, I will be amazed. Um, it reminds me a lot of uh, like Idris Elba when he started... And the woman who plays his wife on the show, I forget her, Lauren Banks, is also fantastic. Um, Just, again, great cast, great, great story. And, you know, if you're from the sort of Massachusetts area, uh, there's a a great sort of feel to it uh, that's recognizable of the old days of, of Boston. But the most kind of insane series that I've come across so far is a series on Hulu called the patient. And man, I I think the first two minutes of the first episode, I was invested. I was tied in. It's it's kind of like saw meets Dexter, meets psychological thriller. Uh, it stars Steve Carell,, uh, but this is definitely not the forty year old virgin. This is a deep, dark role where Steve Carell plays a therapist who is counseling a guy, and you kind of get this as they backtrack. The opening scene of the first episode is Steve Carell waking up in a bed in a basement, and he is shackled to the floor in this basement. And then it kind of goes on to explain that he was a therapist, um, and he was treating this guy who, after a lot of time as, you know, his patient really wasn't opening up to him. And the guy just sort of realized like he couldn't open up to him unless he had him like at his full attention. So he kind of drugs and kidnaps Steve Carell, shackles him in his basement, and then admits that he's a serial killer, that he has a compulsion for killing people, and that he wants to stop. But he's not going to stop until Steve Carell fixes him as his therapist. Fascinating, fascinating storytelling, um, really well shot, very film noirish. If you like things that are psychological, kind of deep, dark, interesting. uh, And they're only like 25-minute episodes. So they're really, really quick watches. The only problem is, you know, unlike a lot of series where they just drop the whole season, this is coming out in a weekly release. So I'm three episodes in, totally invested. I think the new episodes come out on maybe Wednesdays on Hulu. Might be a little sooner than that if you have like a Hulu premium subscription, Uh, but definitely if you're looking for something and I feel like everybody I talk to when I talk about shows like this, and this is why I kind of included this features, you know, I talk to people about shows and their response is always the same. Oh, great. I'm always looking for something new to watch. So that's why I'm sharing what I'm doing. And uh, yeah, there it is. All right, enough of me yapping. I'm going to take one more break, set up a few amazing whiskeys, and then tell you guys the story of the day that I spent at Jim Beam. All right, so here we are. Yeah, Katrina would have loved that one. <laughs> totally, totally unscripted, unedited, unfiltered, and incredibly unprepared so yeah, a little cork pop there this is actually the bottle i bought at the distillery so i guess a perfect way to start out the story time old tub jim beam mash bill it is 75 corn 13 rye 12 malted barley it's a bottled in bond product And admittedly, this wasn't my favorite bottling, uh, but it is kind of a cool piece of, of history and heritage, at least a good talking point. At the distillery, it was only available in pint bottles. And again, a couple of years ago, they did a, a sort of national release in 750s. It's got the Jim Beam signature profile. It's got a little bit more wood note to it, a little kind of dry wood note to it. It's a fun one to have because it tells a story on your bar. Not necessarily one you you have have to have in your collection, but good nonetheless. So again, we're talking heritage that goes back to 1795. All through the years, again, eight generations of leadership, master distillers, some serious bloodline stuff going on there. They are now owned by Suntory. So the company is actually called Beam Suntory. And Jim Beam also owns another brand, a big-time brand, called Maker's Mark. And that's what I'm going to pour for you. Or pour for me while I talk. And I'm pouring Maker's Mark 46. Maker's Mark is one of those brands, we've talked about it all the time, of people look at it on the shelf and they bypass it because it's there. It's always there, you know, people just sort of write it off. And then every time I crack a bottle of Makers, I go, why don't I drink more Makers? This stuff is fantastic. I love the 46. It's regular Makers finished. What they do is they take 10 French oak staves, put them inside the barrel and finish it that way. So I guess technically it's not really a bourbon. It's that run on sentence of bourbon finished with 10 French oak staves. Oh man, this stuff smells so good. I love makers because they only make makers. You know, I love Jim Beam because they make a bunch of great brands and they do a whole bunch of different stuff. But at the same time, I love makers Mark because they just make makers Mark. I mean, I don't know if they're selling any juice off, but I've never heard of anybody, you know, sourcing whiskey from maker's mark there's the regular makers there's the newly added makers 100 which is a 100 proof version which is just so so good Uh, there's a maker's mark cask strength and way in the past I actually did sort of a tasting of makers makers 100 makers cask strength and the flavor differential was absolutely evident you need every one of those proof points. Then they do the Makers 46. They do the Makers 46 cask strength. And up until this year, uh, they were doing these wood finish series, the FAO1 or FAE. Uh, but with the change of leadership with the Master Distiller and the Master Blender there, who knows where that project will go. Another cool thing, you can go to the Makers Mark website, signed up to be like a brand ambassador. And they send you this whole kit, you know, with like this little business card that you're a Maker's Mark ambassador. They put your name on a barrel of whiskey. Uh, They send you Christmas presents every year. And when the barrel of whiskey that your name is on matures, they send you what's called the golden ticket. And you can actually go to Maker's Mark and buy a bottle of the whiskey from the barrel that your name was on the entire time it was aging. Such cool, cool stuff that unfortunately a lot of people don't don't know about. Oh, man. Mm. Mm. You guys know by now, anytime the word sherry appears on the bottle or French oak, I am a sucker. I am in. This is 94 proof, right where it should be. The richness of the French oak is there. Maker's is a weeded whiskey, so soft vanilla, but then that sort of toasty, dark flavor um, in the richness that French oak uh, lends. So my day at Jim Beam, and I really want to set the whole stage because this was a whole day. And if you guys are going down to Kentucky, um, really do yourself a favor, put together an itinerary and try to kind of visit distilleries near each other. And what we did was on this particular day, we actually drove past Claremont and went down to Bardstown. So we were staying in Louisville. We went way south, went out to Heaven Hill at Bardstown. Now around Heaven Hill, you can go visit places like Willett, Luxco, Barton. I think there was one other one out there. We actually stopped at Barton on the way back before we even get to Heaven Hill. If you are down there and you're going out towards Heaven Hill or Jim Beam, in Bardstown, there is a breakfast place called Mama's Kitchen. It is absolutely insane. It is the best breakfast I've ever had. Worth mentioning. Again, Mama's Kitchen in Bardstown. Great. So we go. We have a great breakfast. We go to Heaven Hill. We do the tour. Days off to a great start. And then we backtrack back towards Louisville. And you come upon Jim Beam. Uh, if You said, "What's uh, how can you describe the distillery? No neighbors. there's nothing else there. It's just, you drive through the woods, you come upon this clearing up on the hill is the Jim beam distillery. So you kind of drive up the hill. There's Rick houses on the property. The distillery is on the property, you know, great big visitor center somewhere out there on my social media. There's a picture of me next to the Jim beam statue as we're approaching the building. And I set it up through the store and my job, and the people I know at Beam Centauri, uh, which is why when I go back down there next year, you guys are going to want to book your trip and come down and take the tours with me. Because being in the industry, I get some little bit more specialized uh, kind of considerations. So, you know, we go, we hang out in the the gift center. And it's, I mean, it's awesome. There's just sort of pictures of all the, the at that point it was seven generations of beam family that were in charge you know obviously all the swag you get and so we start the tour we go through um, and the things on the tour were just you know back in like the 70s and the 80s the bourbon industry was not in great shape and everybody was trying to come up with ways to kind of market and gimmick up bourbon and one of the ways they did it was with all these decanters, um, you know, fire trucks, and you know, planes and cars and different things like that. I have a couple of them. I should post these pictures up on Instagram. Maybe I'll do it uh, this week. But you go into this room, and there are just all of these decanters from, you know, the '70s and the '80s, and they're pieces of history, and they're pieces of art they're just they're beautiful to look at and it's amazing the way that they have all of this stuff preserved uh in these rooms and then you kind of bounce around you go outside jim beam his actual house is right there on the property in claremont um there's a a bar there that's inside of a barn it was actually the first place i get to try uh the jim beam legion product that we just talked about a little while ago you know we were fortunate it was a beautiful sunny day and uh there's a barbecue restaurant on the property so we had great you know just pulled pork i mean just it's it's like disneyland for for whiskey drinkers in a different way than then Buffalo Trace was Buffalo Trace is literally like walking with ghosts and it's very esteemed. And Jim Beam was a little bit more relaxed and fun, um, but still just absolutely amazing. So is this makers 46. You know, when I get ready to do these podcasts, um, I, you know, if you guys are like me and you have the, the whiskey collection in your home, and I remember a few years ago, the first time I had shelving built to kind of accommodate my growing collection, and I had taken the bottles I had and I put them all on my dining room table, and I think I put a picture up on Facebook. This had to be seven years ago. And there was probably 40 bottles of whiskey. And I remember like putting the picture up thinking, like, I think I may have a problem. And now there's well over 200 bottles of whiskey in my collection. So there are things here that are great that just fall through the cracks because, hey, I'm I'm just as much of a victim of these things as anybody else where we're always looking for the next new thing to try, what's new and shiny and interesting. And sometimes you forget about these sort of, there's a reason that these brands are tried and true. So, you know, when I decided, like, I'm going to do Jim Beam, I should probably talk about Maker's Mark. You know, it's been sitting in my cabinet. I haven't touched it in a while, but I definitely don't drink this, which helps me to kind of get amped up and excited to revisit these whiskeys when I do these podcasts. And, you know, I have been waiting for days now to just pour myself a glass of Maker's 46 and, and drink it again. By the way, Maker's 46... Just underwent a packaging change. It used to be in sort of that kind of teardrop shaped bottle, clear glass. And now it's it looks like a regular maker's bottle that sort of short, squat, squared off, long neck bottle. Um, Only the label says Makers 46 now. And I know there's been some debate. There's a lot of people that are up in arms. They don't like the new package. I kind of like the new package as much as I like the old package. I'm kind of indifferent to the whole thing. But if you guys have an opinion on what you think of the new packaging on the Maker's Mark 46, please comment. Let me know what you think. And so good. So, yeah, you know, we're on the tour at, you know, we got to see, you know, like the massive stills and you can just... Like, see clear distillate running through them. Uh, you know, the sight of rickhouses is almost awe-inspiring. These giant boxes that are just sort of placed all over kind of the property. And I know they have rickhouses in other sort of counties in Kentucky. But it's a real live, you know, there were places we went to, the Evan Williams Experience, There is the Jim Beam experience in downtown Kentucky where they do a little bit of distilling there, but Claremont, they do a lot of distilling there. It is a real, live, fully operational, fully functioning distillery where brands like Old Crow are made, Old Grandad, Old Overholt, Knob Creek that we're going to be tasting next. Obviously, the Jim Beam stuff. So many great whiskeys coming out of this place, and you just get to see it as it happens. one of the highlights. There was one part of the tour where they literally dumped whiskey out of a barrel, kind of into a trough, and they kind of did the the wink, wink, nod, nod thing of like, we can't let you taste while we're out here on the tour, uh, but if you can cup a little in your hands from there, and there's literal like pieces of charcoal floating in it. It's just you know raw, uncut, unfiltered bourbon right there, straight from the barrel. And then kind of the highlight for me. Yeah, give me a second. Let me finish my Makers 46 and I'll get to the highlight portion. <sighs> so near the end of the tour, and this was very, very cool. You know, again, if you guys are a huge bourbon nuts and you've kind of done the geeky dive that I've done over the last, you know, five years, you know, kind of the, the, The tales at this point, you know, bourbon is Kentucky's spirit and it's America's native spirit. And it has to be made from a mash bill of at least 51 percent corn. I feel like and I don't want to say this as a negative, but the first time we went down there, which was five years ago, when we went to Four Roses and we went to Buffalo Trace and we went to Wild Turkey and we went to Woodford, they spoke to you in sort of their language and you had to kind of keep up to be like, all right, what are they talking about? I should really look into that. By the time we went back two years later, the bourbon boom was in full swing and people that you, you know, you never want to judge a book by its cover, but people that you look at and go like, there's no way that's a bourbon. Oh no, they're bourbon drinkers. You know, there was so many new to bourbon drinkers, new to the fold people That wanted to learn everything that I felt like two years after my first visit, the tours were very sort of almost dummied down, which, again, is why I want to put together a package where we can get tours that aren't the sort of general new guy to bourbon, soccer mom to bourbon. Hey, this is fun and neato. Like, I want to go a little bit deeper with a little bit more info so that was kind of my only knock on the tour is like we got kind of included with the bigger pack so we got the whole it's made from 51 percent corn and if it's aged for you know at least two years it's a straight bird kind of all the stuff that to a lot of us is very very generic now um but at the same time like it's great because it educated more people and got them into the fold and got them really really excited about it and you know like the just sort of the images you get to see of, you know, things in years past, and, and again, just sort of the history of a brand that you know can trace its roots to the late 1700s. That's been you know a functioning brand since the 1940s. Again, this is not like we started up three years ago and we revived a brand that existed pre-prohibition. You know, and we're gonna try to capture that heritage as our the like, these are. You know, uh, uh, this is a distillery that's actually been doing it for the last 80 years. So the amount of history that you see accumulated is just it's fascinating from every aspect. And then at the end of the tour, we get to go to a bottling room. And that leads me to the whiskey that I just poured, which is Knob Creek 12 year. I love Knob Creek. It's another one that every time I taste, I go like. Why don't I drink more Knob Creek, Mashville, uh, seventy-five corn, thirteen rye, twelve percent malted barley? This is part of what Booker No called the small batch collection. Uh, Booker's, Baker's, Basil Hayden, and Knob Creek, kind of famous for being a much spicier bourbon. The regular, you know, it's kind of been through some ups and downs where it was a nine-year small batch bourbon. 100 proof, I think at one point they were going to try to lower the proof. There was a lot of backlash. I feel like a lot of brands of bourbon did that. Um, they were trying to lower proof, one, to either fit American markets, especially in like the 80s and the 90s, or just to try to extend it because they didn't have enough bourbon to bottle. Uh, so for a variety of reasons, a bunch of brands have done that sort of proof down, proof back up. This is, you know, 100 proof. Uh, There are some bottlings that are 120 right on the dot. Um, The regular Knob Creek, like I said, was a nine-year bourbon. They took the age statement away. They've brought back the nine-year. This is upscale. There's also a 15-year, and there's some great Knob Creek bourbon store picks out there as well. Uh, But this one was a a treat to me because I had had the 15. uh, I had obviously had the nine. And then the story I'm about to tell, which is we went to, you know, the end of the tour, you get to go to the bottling room. And on that particular day, they were hand bottling Knob Creek single barrel, which is also a release that comes out, you know, periodically we get our hands on some Knob Creek single barrel. I believe that one's bottled at 120, and, you know, you get to see it from the fill station because they're, Bottling one barrel at a time So it's not this massive production line These are literally done by hand And You know, for as as many of these products That are out there, I think a lot of people think like Oh, they're just all done on bottling lines I was at Wild Turkey They do uh, Kentucky Spirit By hand Um, You know, they do Rare Breed by hand So They do the Knob Creek Single Barrels By hand And, you know, you get to watch the bottle be filled. Uh, Then you watch the bottle get corked. And then they allowed you to actually go over there and dip the bottle in the wax to kind of seal it. So it's a cool, really hands-on part of the tour. Well, then as an added bonus you get to actually buy one of those bottles at the end of the tour. And this happens like if you go to the Jim Beam experience in downtown Louisville, you can buy a single barrel of, you know, bourbon that was distilled there. You can buy that in other places. When we were at wild Turkey, you could buy some like Russell's reserve single barrel. that's only available there. So that's another sort of great incentive to go to Kentucky is you can get single barrels of a lot of these brands that are only available at the distillery. for me personally, like this was kind of cool. I dipped the bottle and you know, I'm a sucker for this. Like you mean I get to have a bottle of the bourbon. I just wax dip and they were kind enough, you know, with our tour to say like, Hey, you're already all set up. And they had bottled a bottle of knob Creek for me with my name etched in the bottle, you know, Again, this is sort of an industry thing. Not everybody gets their name etched into it. But anybody there could have bought one of these bottles. I sat on that bottle for probably a year and a half, two years before I finally cracked it. I think I cracked it uh, on Spirit's Guide Facebook page back when I was doing videos uh, on the page, which I think I got to get back to. Uh, There were a lot of fun. It's just another way to connect with everybody. Um, so what I'm drinking now is the Knob Creek 12 year. Uh, it's kind of a limited release that comes out periodically through the years. It's pretty readily available. Um, but it's not an everyday release, kind of like the, the regular nine year is. Mm. Really the first thing you notice when you taste this 12 is that it's rich It's viscous, it's smoky, it's spicy, it's very dark. It's a palate-coating sip of like like a Girl Scout cookie, like just sort of coconut, caramel, chocolate, almost like a s'mores. Like you get some like smoke from like like a campfire, like not in like a peated kind of way, but just... Toasty oak and caramel coconut, uh, shortbread cookie in the middle of there. This is amazing. Um, And I don't know what the deal was. Somewhere in the middle of COVID, the Knob Creek bottle changed. You know, it used to sort of be that kind of flat, tall, rectangular bottle. And then all of a sudden it started showing up in these kind of wavy glass bottles. I don't know if that was necessity because of glass shortage and supply issues. Or it was an actual intentional packaging change. Either way, I like it. And that whiskey is fantastic. Ah, Man, what a great day I I spent that day at at Jim Beam. And I did actually go the next day to the Jim Beam experience, which is a lot of fun. You know, it's a little bit more touristy. It's kind of like a satellite thing. Where you can go in, you can do tastings. Like I said, they do a bit of distilling, so you can buy a bottle of single barrel Jim Beam right there. It's actually on 4th Street, uh, which is in downtown Louisville, which is just a, another just great thing about Louisville. I've talked about it before. There's a street. It's blocked off on both ends. There's restaurants and clubs that go up and down the street. And, yeah, Jim Beam experiences right there. Some great food places, outdoor live entertainment. Just so much great stuff about Louisville. Um, And, again, Jim Beam, I love it. It should be regarded as one of the best bourbon distilleries uh, in the world, hands down. All their products are good. There's nothing – if there's one thing I can say about them over, like, Buffalo Trace and Sazerac – They're not making platinum vodka there. They're not making Taka vodka there. Uh, To the best of my knowledge, they're not making any vodka there. They are a pure whiskey distillery. Um, So maybe on that comparison, it puts them one up over Buffalo Trace. Um, I'll go with that. But there really doesn't have to be a best, as long as there's good whiskey coming out of good places, made by good people for good people. All right. I'm going to wrap it from there. I'm going to go and drink some more good whiskey. Um, Yeah, hopefully you guys enjoy this. Thank you all for indulging me on this journey, as always. And if you like what I'm doing, and if you're still here listening, then clearly you do. You know the drill. Go to the podcast page. Click that follow button. Give it a five-star rating. Uh, Share it out on your social media. Follow along on Instagram and Facebook as The Spirits Guide. I'm talking and drinking at the same time because I'm going to get one more in as I'm doing my closing here. Um, Yeah, you guys know the deal. I'm always putting up stuff that I'm drinking, reading, listening to, loving the uh, Sunday vinyl series. I just love listening to vinyl on a Sunday morning. There's just something kind of soothing about the crackle of vinyl. (sighs) Uh, Yeah, so you can message me. On both of those platforms, you can leave comments and reviews about the podcast on both of those platforms. And for anything else, if there's anything here that I have tasted, we're like, hey, that sounds good. I would love to try that. If you're over 21, you live in the area, and you, you know, I don't know. I've got plenty, which I have plenty of everything that I've drank here. <laughs> frighteningly enough, um, I am more than happy to share what I've got with anybody. So yeah, just hit me up on any of these mediums and I will do up samples. I'm doing up samples all the time. I bring them into the store. People come in, hang out with me, meet me there. We exchange samples, have a drink, have a chat. It's what it's all about. Just sharing and being around good people. Uh, if you guys want to come here, hang out to geek out about movies, music, TVs, whatever, drink some cool spirits. You pick the topic. I'll supply the booze. We'll have some fun. Uh, all of that, email me at thespiritsguide89 at gmail.com. All right. As I'm going out, I'm going to do what is incredibly become a unicorn whiskey. And oh, I just had to make that pop sound one more time. as We've got a few minutes left here. This is Old Granddad 114. I was pleasantly surprised to find I still had a, a good, healthy-sized bottle of this left. In my collection, this has gotten harder to find than old Rip Van Winkle in the wild. I have not been able to order this from my store in two years. Um, I just posted the old Granddad 80 proof. It was the last bottle we had at the store. I bought it. I probably won't open it until I find another bottle because that's how much I value old Granddad. But literally, I have seen more bottles of Michter's 10. In the last couple of years than Old Granddad 114. I've seen more bottles of Old Rip in the last few years than I have seen of Old Granddad 114. I've gotten more bottles of Russell's Reserve 13-year into my store than I have gotten of Old Granddad 114. And what's great to me and heartwarming is I've had more people asking me for Old Granddad 114 than any of those bourbons in my store. That means my customers... Are the coolest people out there. Thank you guys for that. So here we go. I'm going out on what is now a unicorn. Old Granddad 114. Admittedly, the bottled and bond is my favorite of the three. But all right, here we go. Mm. Man, that is so good. Rich. Dark caramel, just caramel and butterscotch for days. No Kentucky hug, lots of you know peppercorns on the back end. Absolutely delicious. A perfect way to close this podcast about Jim Beam. If you see old granddad out in the wild, eighty proof bottled and bond one fourteen, grab it. It's hard to come by. And the old the 114 I have right now is the old label. I know they did a packaging change a couple of years ago. I never saw a bottle of the new package change. I'm gonna hold this. So thank you guys again so much. We're just about out of time. I will be back talking to you guys on Thursday for a little TNT, getting you prepped up for the weekend. And uh again. Thank you, as always, for indulging me on the journey. Uh, Appreciate you all. Cheers. Yay!